بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم السلام علیکم اٹ از تھرس ڈے دا ٹوینٹی ایٹ آف جولائی ٹو تھاؤزینڈ اینڈ Yeah, these days we are discussing the words of um, Al-Baqarah chapter 2 verse 102 and uh, this is our 22nd broadcast in uh, considering the meanings of the words of uh, uh, this verse of the Holy Quran. These broadcasts are brought to you by Laser, Lahore MDA School of Education in Religion, which is a department of the Lahore MDA movement or MDA Manishad Islam. There are various names by which this organization is known. The uh, MDA movement was established by Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed Sahib and uh, his teaching was that although um, other people say that after the Holy Prophet Muhammad another Prophet will come this is this cannot be correct because the Holy Quran says that the Holy Prophet is Khatmun Nabiyyin And when the Holy Prophet was asked about what this expression means, he said, La Nabi Abadi. There is no Prophet after me. Now the Holy Prophet himself has explained that term to meaning, there is no Prophet after me. So how can another Prophet come? It is impossible. And uh, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed said his claim was in line with the Hadith of the Holy Prophet, which is a continuation of the Holy Prophet's explanation of this verse of Khatmun Nabiyyin. Because people said when previous nations and people went astray, God would raise prophets. What will happen to this Ummah? And the Holy Prophet said that now God will raise Mujaddadeen, reformers. 
They won't reform Islam, but they'll reform Muslims, their character, their behavior, their understanding of the Holy Quran and so on. So Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad Sahib said that he came as part of a series, a chain of such reformers. And many had appeared before him during the 1300 years. He said his distinction was, his distinction was that the Hadith also speaks of a Messiah and Mahdi who will come to guide Muslims. And he was the Mujaddid to whom these titles applied. Title of Messiah and Mahdi. But that did not make him a prophet. Of course, this gave rise to uh, uh, differences of uh, differences of opinion. Some people accepted his interpretation. Others rejected it. And those who rejected it started calling Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed a kafir, a heretic etc. And Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad pointed out that uh, the Holy Prophet had said that if one reciter of the Kalima says to another reciter of the Kalima that you are a heretic, then the verdict, the verdict of heresy falls upon the person who utters, utters these words, who says these words. So we should not indulge in such heresy making. Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad also said that although others say that some prophetic revelation has been missed out from the Holy Quran and some that is in the Holy Quran, its commands are no longer applicable. But Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad pointed out that God says in the Holy Quran that I am revealing it and I am going to guard it. So if God, if God is, if Allah is the guardian, then how can it be that some prophetic revelation has been missed out and that some commands are no longer applicable? Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad also stressed the fact that uh, jihad is a duty of every Muslim. Every Muslim should be conducting a jihad 24 hours a day. But he said, for definition of jihad, we have to turn to the Holy Prophet Muhammad. When returning from fighting, the Holy Prophet Muhammad said, from jihad-e asghar from the minor struggle, from the minor jihad. We now return to jihad-e akbar, the major struggle or the major jihad. And he then went on to explain that the major jihad is jihad bin nafs, 
that the main struggle is to conduct a jihad with your own desires and with your own self, which stops you from being a good person. <clears throat> but of course, if you're attacked with the sword, then you respond with the sword to defend yourself. Hazrat Sahib did not say that Islam is a pacifist religion. He said Islam is a non-aggressive religion. Let us now turn to um, verse 102 of Al-Baqarah and I will only recite the phrase in which the word that we are going to look at appears because it's a long verse. A'udhu billahi minash rajim Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Walakad alimu lamanishtarahu Malahu fil akhirati min khalaq and certainly they know that he who buys it has no share of good in the hereafter. And today we are going to look at the word Akhira. So let me turn to my computer notes, which I have no doubt. Uh, which I can't find at the moment, which is the reason for panicking. Let me close. The, actually, let me move this window down. Ah, they are hiding behind this window. Okay. Right. The triliteral root is Hamza Kha Ra. And uh, these letters are combined to make six different words, and together they appear in the Holy Quran 250 times. And 155 times as Akhir, and 70 times as Akhar, and 15, uh, 15 times as Akhara. And this means to delay, to give respite, to stay behind, to postpone. It also means hereafter, it also means end, it also means generations which are to come after your generation or after the generation being 
spoken about, etc. So, <clears throat> let us go to the notes from dictionaries and see what we find there. So, Ahi Run is the opposite of Avval. So, this is the opposite of first. And Aharu, the first one was Ahi Run. This one is Aharu. And that means uh, another. So, this comes with singular, Vahid. And, uh, but if you're talking about Ad-Darul Ahiratu, then this is the everlasting life. This is the life in the hereafter. Just like Ad-Darul Dunya. It means life of or life in this world. And uh, <clears throat> for example, the Holy Quran says, Wa inna darul ahirata lahiyal hayawan. Chapter 69, verse 64. That the place of everlasting life is the hereafter. Here the word home, place is used. In the Darul Akhirat. Dar means the place where this will happen. But in other places, in other verses, Dar is dropped. Chapter 11 verse 16 says, Ulaika lazina laysa laysa lahum fil akhirati ilan naru. And these are the people for whom in the hereafter there is nothing except the fire of hell. Now here the word dar is not used. Fil akhirati in the hereafter. So sometimes, like in chapter 6 verse uh, 32 it says, And certainly, the place, the house in the hereafter is best for those who, well, the notes here say, fear God, but I notice the fact that the word used is yattakun. And uh, I'm not keen on translating that as those who fear God, because taqwa and muttaki means someone who's very careful, who's very careful to protect himself from 
the harm of evil, doing the wrong thing, etc. So I would say rather than translate that is those who fear God, I translate that is those who are cautious and avoid doing the wrong thing. So that's just by the by. But it, it, in my view, this is a general misconception that you say you fear God. Um, you notice the word God is not mentioned, the word fear is not mentioned. It's an interpretation, which is fine. Someone else's interpretation. I have a different interpretation. But in chapter 16, verse 41, we have Wala ajrul akhirati. Akbaru law kanu yalamu. And the reward in the hereafter. Now, here you see the word dar is not used. In the hereafter. The reward in the hereafter is great if only they knew. And then we have a tahir. People who know Urdu would understand this easily that uh, um, for example chapter 75 verse 13 says Bima Kaddama wa akhara and the deeds that he has sent ahead and those that he has left behind. So here it's being used as the opposite of leaving behind. Taddeem. Taddama. Left behind. Sorry, I'm having a little trouble with my cursor for some reason. Again, in another place, chapter 48, verse 2, Ma taqaddama min zambika wa ma ta'akhar. Your mistakes, your wrongdoing, your sins that you have done and will do. All your sins. And then it means to give respite, to give time. Chapter 14, verse 42 says, Innama yu akhiruhum liyomin tashkhathu fihil abthar. And he's giving them respite. Because when the day comes, they'll be astonished, they'll be speechless. And chapter 14 further says, they will say, Rabbana akhirna ila ajalin qareeb. Our Lord, give us some respite. Give us a bit more time. But when the time comes, it comes. 
there is no respite, there is no extra time. God says, well, you know, you were given time and you were told. And uh, in fact, God is correct. I mean, he can't be wrong. But the statement that, um, uh, you know, even if you are given extra time, you will still do the same thing. In fact, what you have to remember are two things. One is that the Holy Quran, using the terminology that we are familiar with and things that we are familiar with, is trying to explain to us what the next phase of our life is going to be. I mean, take an example, you know, you take a seed and you bury it in the ground. It doesn't need sunshine. And then it sprouts and it takes on a totally different shape and form and so on. And now once it's sprouted out from the ground, it needs, for example, sunshine for photosynthesis. And you could say, well, you know, when you were in the ground, you didn't need any sunshine. What's happened now? Well, that phase of life is finished. This is a totally new and different phase of life for which requirements are different. Another example is, you know, you have a fetus in the womb and God describes how it takes uh, different uh, shapes and so on. Uh, it goes through different phases in becoming a fetus and, you know, the bones are created and then they're covered with flesh and all this kind of thing, etc., etc. But the point is this, that fetus does not breathe for nine months. I'm talking about humans here. Gestation period for other animals is different. So the fetus does not breathe for nine months. And when it's born, on many occasions, it's still not breathing. And doctors have to do something. Sometimes they smack the bottom and uh, suddenly the baby takes a deep breath and then starts to cry or they might use a vacuum thing to uh, uh, clean any obstructions in the nose and uh, that kind of thing. But once it, it takes its first breath and in fact once it emerges from the womb, it cannot live without breathing. Now, it's in a totally different situation. Now, if you try to explain to the fetus in the womb about this world and satellites and televisions and iPads and video games and the fact that, you know, you'll have cars that can hit you and kill you and whatever, it won't be able to comprehend what you're talking about. That life is totally different to the life after birth. The first life has died. A new life has been born. 
with different requirements. And uh, it's the, the same thing applies to the hereafter. What that life will be like, because we can understand things a little bit, God tries to explain that to us in terms of the life of this world. That it will be like this and it will be like that and so on. But we don't know. We can't comprehend. Let's take another example. Everyone, when they grow up, they go and get a job. And they earn money with which they buy food. And uh, then a time comes when they retire. Now, situation now radically changes. When they were working, they were earning money. They've now retired. They don't have a job. But they still need to eat. They still need to pay the electricity bill and the gas bill and everything else. So how are they going to do that? And of course, in many cases, the government gives you a pension or your employer gives you a pension, but that is only, compared to your salary, a small part of your salary. So how are you going to bridge that gap? Well, some people say, well, I won't be going to work so that will save on the travelling costs and so on. But then on the other side, you'll be staying home all the time. And certainly if it's England, if you're home all the time, you'll need to heat the house or certainly a room in the house. Otherwise the cold will kill you. So you see, the situation has changes. And you have to make adjustments. Now, if when you started work, you take, took this into account that this is going to happen one day, that I won't have a job, and I'll, but I'll still need money, then what you do is you start paying into a pension. And it takes 40, 45 years to build up enough pension so that you retire comfortably. Just think of it, it takes just under half a century. And you're only going to be alive for 20 years or so. So you need to plan and save and set aside resources for 50 years to tide you over, let's say, 20 years. The life of the hereafter is eternal. It's everlasting. So what you have to save up and send ahead 
Can you imagine how much you've got to save up and send ahead? It has to be a huge amount. And you just take the example of your retirement. You know, in UK retirement age is 68. If when you're 60, you think, oh, I'd better do something about it, you're too late. Yes, it will make a difference. But how much difference can it make? You need, as I said, to pay for almost half a century. That's how long you need to plan for in this life to have a comfortable retirement. And people don't think about it and they end up, you know, skimping and scraping and so on, rather than be able to drive to the shops or somewhere and put their shopping in the boot of the car and just drive home because they haven't saved enough. They go and get a retired person's bus pass, which is free. And then they have to lug their shopping to the bus stop. Then in rain and sunshine and snow and whatever the weather's like, they have to wait at the bus stop for a bus. Buses are usually late. Then they get on the bus. They get off at the other end. Then they have to pick up all the shopping and lug it home. See, you can see the difficulties. And this is what God is saying. Remember that verse that I recited that your deeds that you've uh, left behind and the deeds that you have uh, uh, sent ahead? Can you imagine how many deeds you have to send ahead to allow? for a life in the hereafter which is comfortable. For a comfortable life in retirement for 20 years, you have to save for 50 years. Now compare that for a life in the hereafter which is everlasting. How much good you have to do. How much Taqwa you must observe. But just like in this life, people don't wake up to the fact that they should be saving for their pension until they're about 55 or 60 years old. It's the same with the hereafter. And this is what the Holy Quran refers to, that when the hour comes, what do people say, give us a chance, we'll go back, this time we'll do good. And God says, I know you won't. You're going to do exactly the same thing. You know, let me give you an example. You know, I come from Pakistan and we used to live in a place called Lahore, a big city. And my grandfather lived in Karachi, which is another big city, 1200 miles away. And uh, for summer holidays, because it was very hot in Lahore, we would go to Karachi. Now, in Pakistan, there is a huge syllabus teachers have to cover. So what they do is they give you homework to be done during summer holidays. 
And as soon as we would arrive in Karachi, my mother would start saying, do the homework, finish the homework, do the homework, do the homework. And what was my reply? Oh, there's plenty of time. Until suddenly I would realize that all the time has run out. There is no time left. We have to go back. And we do exactly the same thing in this life. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's plenty of time. I'll start doing good deeds next month, next week, next year. How do you know you're going to wake up in the morning and you're not going to have a massive heart attack and die during the night? But you keep putting it off. And then God says, when it comes to it, you say, oh, well, very sorry. Can we have a bit more time? And God says, no. You had your allotted time. That's the end of the story. So this is planning for the future in this life and in the hereafter. We've overrun our time slightly, so I take my leave of you with the prayer that uh, whoever you are and wherever you may be, may Allah keep all of you safe and sound and free from harm. Assalamu alaikum, Khuda Hafiz, and goodbye.